You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Closer than Mishpacha with Rabbi Eitan Kobri. Eitan, I am so happy that we can once again get together. It's a difficult week, of course, for Kali Yisrael, a week of the Shavu Shachal Beitishavov, basically. And it's a week that many of us, I guess, are doing Cheshbon HaNefesh and being very nizal about being Malani Ketrugim, of course, but also thinking about what it means, the Churban, and getting ourselves mentally ready for Tishabov on Mitzvah Shabbos and Sunday. But, you know, you know sometimes I think that Kinnis is, of course, very uh, moving and difficult sometimes to understand. And, of course, Eicha, and it really brings home the Churban. But I think throughout the year, Eitan, we have so many references in our Tfilas to Gershavayim, so many references to Tzilin, so many, just every every Monday and Thursday, Tachman, if you say Bekavana, or even in Shmonesra, even if it's Samachdavid, but especially in the Tachman, where we talk about the Amcha Lecherpo, about how Yerushalayim is, and the Pasuk and Tilim, that the Tilim of Shalush Yerushalayim, that we're meant to, to be Mespalo, and forgive me, Eitan, for a little bit of Jewish here, but Sheila Sholem, we know, is one of the halachas that's also on, on, on Tisha B'Av. And is hello, Sheila Sholem? You know, hello is not Sheila Sholem. And Sheila Sholem is what's happening with you, what's going on, and almost what can we do to help? I want to connect. Obviously, you could, if it's a Tzorah Godel, you can find out. But stop to talk to people, to connect to people, is it? It's more than just waving and and nodding. We have to really know what's happening there. We have to get a sense of how it is. I think both of us being Chutzlarts boys have ideas of Yerushalayim that are either part of a utopian glorious future with that third base Hamikdosh glowing, or the, the symbol of the Alt Yerushalayim, maybe the Mario Diskin or earlier, a sense of, like we say in, in the Tfilas Nachem, Chareva, uh, Bezuye, believe by now, but the real Yerushalayim, the here and now, the one that perhaps we should be thinking about if people are listening to Santishabov as well, uh, I think sometimes it, it's floating below our consciousness. Even someone like me who has a son living in Yerushalayim, yeah, when I have to go there, I have to know, you know where to park and where to find it, but to really know what's happening in Yerushalayim, the real Dinyonim, and, and I'm not talking about all just the scuttlebutt, but what's really happening in that city? And if you look at it, I'm showing you right before we started recording the, the beautiful words of the Malbim on that Pasik, how Yerushalayim is really the lave and the nefesh and the seichel of Klau Yisrael. And it's through the achdus of, of its inhabitants that we really have a barometer of how healthy we are as a country. So I, I was intrigued when you told me, Eitan, that you wanted to talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts and tracts of Yerushalayim itself. So talk about us as being, uh, you know, Golas Yidden. But today's topic is something that is uh, somewhat close to my heart and something that I actually, even living here in, 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 the, in the States, in New York, that I actually happen to have a pretty close familiarity with. And that's because I too have kids there. I have both a son and a daughter, married and living, happily settled in Yerushalayim. And the subject of, of our chat today is about the plans for 
the construction and actually the, the beginning stages are already underway for the construction of a, a so-called green line of the Jerusalem light rail. And this particular line, we're gonna be talking about the green line, is one that runs along a route which actually connects where both of my kids live. So it runs along the famous Yerushalayim artery of Barilan, okay, the large, wide, throbbing artery in the midst of the heart of, of the from neighborhoods of Yerushalayim. And it's one that I, when I go visit uh, Yerushalayim, and I really can't get there often enough, uh, it's one that I traverse on foot, back and forth, sometimes by bus, to get from one of my children to the other. So <clears throat> I know this from really up close. I know the, uh, exactly the, the area that we're talking about. I know its, its problems, and I know its, its charms, and so on. Eitan, I'm looking at a map here, and again, I, you know, I know that our listenership doesn't necessarily have that, but they could have access to it. You're not talking about like the classical neighborhoods of Beis Yisrael and Geula and Meishorin, right? We are talking about them, yeah. That green line actually goes close to those places? Just to sketch the route, just a bit of this planned green line. And as I say, it's not just an abstract plan, some years uh, off in the distance, but it's something which some of the basic foundational work has already been underway for some time. So it's already in the early construction stages. Um, so basically its starting point at one end would be, I believe it's an, it's an east-west line and it would start at Arhat Sofim at the Hebrew University campus at Mount Scopus. Uh, it would run along Sterod Eshkol up the continuation of that on Rechol Barilan and continuing on to Rechol Yirmiyahu. And I think it would pass by the uh, Tachanim Rekazit, the central bus station, and nearby Rechol Yafo, and continuing on through Givat Ram, which is the other Hebrew U campus. Uh, and then uh, I think, if not mistaken, that the final destination point, the end point of the line would be in Gilo, a secular, a largely secular neighborhood. So basically what it's doing is it's running along some of the most storied Haredi neighborhoods. So you're talking about, you know, Sanhedrin, you're talking about Arzia Bira, Malodafna, and you're talking about Bushmonim, and you're talking about Bells and Geula, absolutely. And uh, these are all on the shoulders. In other words, when you, on either side of Barilan and, and Bukharim, I mean, all of these famed, beloved neighborhoods, so well known to us, our children are, are very much at the center of this line. Rather, is at, is at the center of of these neighbors and is going to impact on these neighbors, as we'll as we'll talk more about. The only thing I meant was that I guess the topography is sometimes when you see it on a map uh, can sometimes be deceiving. But you know, I know it's a little bit of a mahalach from these stops that I'm looking at to Gula and Meishar. I agree with you. I mean, you, you know, and, and you're right. It's the, from Bell's. To go down to Mejorim is only about a 10 or 15 minute walk, but I guess that's considered going right through the neighborhood, right? There's not, there's not going to be a stop, like, right? It's not like you can get off at Mejorim, right? Or get off at Bula, at Manny's bookstore, right? That's absolutely correct. And actually, that's one of the issues we'll talk about when we talk about some of the logistical issues, some of the, some of the logistical nightmare that this will produce. That's going to be one of the issues is, is the difference in terms of directness of 
travel, uh, convenience, uh, time spent, etc. The difference between a, a light rail, which has a limited number of stops along a straight track, and a bus, which can really take you from very, very precisely from point A to point B. So, so then you said the word, I think I heard the word nightmare there. I, I wasn't sure, but so again, this is a, something that's been planning and the typical, I didn't read up on this extensively, but what I saw on the Wikipedia page and other things was that everything is the cost overruns and the projections of when it's ready have all been pushed forward. They, they, this has been something that's been in the works for years and it was conceived as a way to better life in Yerushalayim, uh, to make it less congested. Uh, the sense was that the city wasn't built like it's a small with a tiny roads and labyrinths of communities. It wasn't built for a huge amount of auto traffic. So on paper, it sounds, wow, yeah, you know, public transportation, uh, it, it eliminates uh, a lot of the pollution. It eliminates uh, you know, the difficulties of auto travel. I don't know if the statistics of, of auto accidents, when you hear about how terrible it is, when you listen to it uh, and you read it, from our perspective, I don't know how many of them happen in Yerushalayim, but it would seem this is something that sounds positive. It sounds like, you know, <laughs> you know uh, I, I've been on these buses and I don't know if the light rail is basically the same experience as the bus, but I know the buses often are just stuck in traffic and basically you're standing there and people are jostling and it isn't exactly too pleasant. Should there be uh, a snogness to it? Great question. So. We're going to basically divide the answer to that question into two broad categories, which are going to be the what we we'll call the the gashmias of it and the ruchnias of it. So let's let's take the gashmias first. For anyone who's been on Rechol Barilan, all you have to do is put yourself back there. Okay, conjure up that that image. Rechol Barilan, for those who are, are not familiar, is far and away for the from neighborhoods of Yerushalayim and. Maybe perhaps maybe Shulayim, Jerusalem as as a whole. I don't I don't know, but certainly from the from neighborhoods, it is the single most central and largest and most important transportation wise to from Jews of any of the arteries the the, the byways of, of Yerushalayim. It is a wide thoroughfare, which has about ten bus lines. We're talking just about the intra-city bus lines, which are the primary bus lines for from Jews. And we're talking about, in other words, basically 95 to 99% of their riders are from Jews. And then you have multiple, multiple uh, Bain Ironian, you know, the intercity, going to Kiryat Sefer and to Bnei Brak and to Elad and to, to Emmanuel and of course in the Tzvah and Terian. And so these are all running along Barilan. At any given minute, on Barilan, you've got multiple chains of buses snaking their way up Barilan. So on the most elemental level, all one has to do is put yourself, if you've been there on that street, put yourself on that on the corner and imagine a Barilan, which now, as it stands now, has basically four lanes. The entirety of Barilan, in other words, the width of Barilan is, is comprised of four lanes, two in one direction, two in the other. Perhaps there's a little shoulder there where, where a bus can sort of, when it's making the, the, the pickup, kind of wiggle its way to the side. So maybe it's two and a half on one side, but it's basically two lanes. What the light rail, what the green line is going to do is, it's going to take 
two of those lanes, reducing this mammoth, throbbing, pulsating, traffic-packed artery, right? which besides these tens of buses that at any given moment are, are making their way up our land, that's in addition to the cars and the tenders and the delivery truck and the emergency vehicles and so on and so forth, you're going to reduce that by half. You're going to turn it into a, a one-lane road. So for purposes of us Gullisgidden, if you live in Muncie, think, I think it's called Route 59. If you live in Lakewood, think River Avenue. Not just River Avenue. River Avenue at 3.45 p.m. or whatever the, the time of day is. Anybody who knows anything about Lakewood knows what kind of literally logistical nightmare it is. And, and an example of just the most unbelievably ridiculous municipal planning where, you know, you, you've got every, every Colwell guy is on his way to Colwell and, and the brothers have got the kids. So just to begin with, it, it literally, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words in this case, where just to, to imagine turning Bar Ilan, Rako Bar Ilan, into a one lane street. In other words, you need on each direction. You'd have to have the space for the light rail carriage would basically take up what is now the second lane in the direction of Barilan. One lane is going to be a track going one way, and the other lane is going to be, but largely it's a commercial strip. In other words, you have stores, and those stores need to be stocked. And, th and that stocking takes place by with delivery trucks. So the moment you have delivery trucks stopping a Barilan, right? Or if you have a fender bender in Barilan, if you have anything happening on Barilan, you have it literally it's going to bring the entire Bar Ilan to a standstill. It will become a fiasco of such monumental proportions. It's really difficult to get your head around what Jerusalem's municipal planners could possibly. That's exactly what I wanted to ask you. It would seem that, you know, without getting into any politics or any sort of philosophical sense of what do they think? I mean, they if, if this, I mean, they knew what Barilan Street was, whether it was Chiloni, Haredi, like even that last, especially the last point that you said, they knew that it was primarily, it might not be Yaffa or King George, but it definitely is full of stores. Uh, what, did they, what, what was the idea? Uh, what I'm guessing is, and it would be great to have somebody representing them on the program here to say what they meant, and maybe you've read about it. I would love that. Yeah. What, I, what, what I would say, you know, shooting from the hip, like I always do, is that they probably assume that hmm, when we have the light rail, so that would obviate the need for a lot of the other traffic. So in other words, uh, the car traffic and other stuff would be eliminated because people would find themselves taking the light rail instead. That might only be a half of the terrace, but I would assume that's part of the terrace. Well, it can't really be the answer because I, I think they did do traffic studies, of course, at which I, I believe showed that uh, light rail, uh, the additional, uh, the addition of, of the light rail would, I think, reduce the, the traffic burden by 30%, leaving 70% of the existing burden intact and at the mercy of a one-lane road. Now, what we're talking about over here is, it's not just a question of turning Barilan into a, a, a one-lane road, but there are additional things going on here. For example, the plans call for the elimination of most, if not all, of left turns. So for example, and, and this is, I'm, I've literally, this is right in my mind's eye, because like I say, I mean, I know, I, I know this street and I know this area, you know, like the back of my hand. 
So you've got this, it's not a major street, but relative to some of the, some of the other side streets, you've got this street called uh, Elia Cohen. And of course, you know, uh, so charmingly, as you have in Yerushalayim, you have some of the streets coming off of that are, are streets with names like Hana and Penina, you know, and so on. So you've got uh, Elia Cohen. Elia Cohen is perpendicular. It crosses Barilan at a certain point. Actually, it's right at the point at the Tzomet. It's at the, the point where Barilan turns into Yirmiyahu as you go further up. So you got Elia Cohen. Now, as it stands now, a person can be coming down Elia Cohen. Let's say he wants to go to Rakova Benu Gershom, which is, again, a, a much smaller side street further down Barilan, and that's where he lives, or that's where his yeshiva is, or that's where he's visiting a friend, or you know, or there's a store there, whatever the case may be. So he could just go down Elia Cohen uh, at the point where it intersects with Barilan, make his left turn, and about 30 seconds later, he'll, he'll reach, of course, now on the other side of, of Barilan, he will reach uh, Rabbeinu Gershom and he'll make his right on Rabbeinu Gershom and he'll be there. And the whole thing has taken him, you know, all of 90 seconds. Ah, but because of the green line, they're going to be eliminating that important left turn, the possibility of a left turn off Elia Cohen, which means that all the people that are coming from Yvat Moshe, Ezra's Torah, and all of those neighborhoods down there, which again, as I say, are not right off the shoulder of, of Barilam, but are just a little further on, another five minutes down, all these famed uh, Haredi neighborhoods we all know and love. So uh, you're coming down Elia Cohen, you're now gonna have to go straight across Barilan, no turns. You're gonna have to go on to Tsefania, and from Tsefania to Avinom Yellen, and then on to Yoel. Now you're ready deep into Gula, right? And then to Rechov David, until finally you can make your right onto Rebbeinu Gershom. So in other words, basically it's gonna take you 20 minutes to get to Rabbeinu Gershom, whereas uh, it would previously have, have taken 90 seconds. I mean, this is the kind of fiasco that they're cooking up. Eitan, what would that, what you just described, and I and I tried to picture it in my mind's eye, of course, I, I don't have the familiarity that you have. What would be the um, the walking aspect of that? If somebody would walk from that Elia Cohen to Rabbeinu Gershom? It would be a long walk, but the point over here is, I'm not talking about somebody who's, on the right, who would say, oh, you know, get out of your car and, and get some exercise. We're talking about somebody who's ferrying a, a car full of kids. Or we're talking about a tender that's taking kids to Cheder. You know, this is not, walking is not, is no substitute for, for, for transportation. But to, just to circle back to your question of what could they possibly be thinking, I have only really two ways of, of, of looking at it. The first is, and anybody who, uh, who 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 has ever cracked open, you know, in a frame Kishon, uh, you know, uh, satire, or, you know, any of the other literature out, out out there about the nature of Israeli bureaucracy and the nature of how things work in that paradise on the Mediterranean, you know, which is so famous for its bureaucratic boondoggles and it's just endless, endless red tape and nonsensical municipal planning or or or, or you know. I'm not sure that the question, you know, is one that we haven't, uh, that, 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 that most of us are not familiar with uh, when it comes to uh, Eretz Yisrael, from things we've read, or if you were ever have lived there from your own personal experiences. So what I'm really saying in, in, this, in this point is simply that you've got a Tzorachim Godel on Israeli bureaucracy or, or, or central planning. Well, you know, welcome to the world, you know, <laughs> take a number and get in line. Mm -hmm. The other point is, is that perhaps what was going on here is just an instance of utopian planning, 
and the idea of you know the bureaucratic state, uh, which is going to make things good and is going to bring Jerusalem into the 21st century. Uh, it's going to drag its residents kicking, screaming, whether they like it or not. I mean, this is going this is a, could be perhaps a, again a classic example of the five uh, Boy Scouts who, who were needed to escort the old lady across the street. And of course, why they need five of them? Well, because she didn't want to go. So they're going to bring us into the age of Aquarius over here, where its residents are resolutely and adamantly opposed and out, actually outraged at this. That's something that we'll have to make sure to touch upon as well, which is the process of the whole thing. And you know, this is something that's ongoing for about five years now. So this is not something that sprang up yesterday to talk about exactly what has been going on with this, with this tug of war for the past, the past five years. Um, but in any event, so that's the only things that I can think of if I am really pressed to the wall to try to explain what they possibly could have been thinking. I know you want to talk about the Rukmias as well. And, you know, we could probably maybe just stop here and say, okay, uh, this sounds ridiculous. Why are they doing this? But, you know, we live here in the United States. And uh, again, uh, you're the journalist and you know what's happening in, in, in the world. You know that there are plans to push for solar power in other places. There's a lot of, I would say, philosophically tinged or based on a certain green outlook and that plans are moving in many ways that are counter-intellectual here in the United States as well. Ideologically driven planning, yes. Yes, yes. So, so I think we are familiar with that. And I think yep. you know, it, it might be that you know, the idea of the light rail, whether it's because of you know, the ecological advantages that I sort of hinted to before, or the aesthetic aspect of it, and its you know its beauty and and and, and the way that you know the cars look as opposed to the sort of like little engine that could grubby little bus and various taxis that that might be part of it as well. So we are familiar with ideologically driven ideas that don't really make sense on the ground, especially when it results in. Uh, very, very high inflation and other things, and and really to the detriment of the people here and now, based Eitan on what they think is going to be the betterment of society in the next generation, is a, it might be possible that this was meant to sort of say here it's a fait accompli, and maybe this means we move out of Yerushalayim, that these yeshivas find other places to go, Rechov um, Barilan becomes abandoned. Uh, to other places. In other words, you know, again, the facts on the ground might, if, if it's already going to happen, it, it'll cause an attrition and perhaps you know, a very difficult, as you said, kicking and screaming like the lady with, with the Boy Scouts, but then the lady isn't going to cross that street anymore. Maybe that's what they're after. <laughs> Maybe what they're after for is a new, you know, reshaping the demographic of the city in that way. And maybe that touches on your second point a little bit. On the exploding Haredi population in years to come and, and their housing options, et cetera. Right. That's, that's not going to bring any, any comfort, not even cold comfort, to the people that live there already. In other words, we're talking about, uh, about oversubscribed, bursting at the seams Haredi neighborhoods, hundreds of thousands of residents. And for them, they're, they're trapped there. Let me, let me just talk, before we go to the, over to the uh, discussion of the, the spiritual slash moral aspects of the just to dwell for a few more moments because I haven't fully fleshed out everything that's in store for these neighborhoods. So the question becomes this, 
there's no way around facing the fact that this plan green line is going to turn Barilan and and related road. Well, I keep talking about Barilan, but of course it's here below further down. It's going to turn it into the single most congested byway of Yerushalayim. What does this mean in practice for from residents? Well, it, it means two important things. The first one is is that anybody in their right mind is going to do whatever they can to avoid it. They're going to try to avoid it to begin with, even getting onto that road. And if they're already stuck on that road, as we say, behind some delivery truck, behind some uh, stalled out car, whatever the case may be, they're going to do whatever they can to turn off of it. So what are the alternatives to using Barilan to get from point A to point B? The alternatives are to use the surrounding areas, all of which, again, are wall-to-wall solidly from. These are the, the iconic Yerushalayim neighborhoods, you know, the Bukharim and the Geula and the Yivat Moshe, et cetera. And what that's going to do is turn these neighborhoods into a nightmares of noise, pollution, endless, endless bottleneck traffic on these little Yushalayim side streets that are hard to traverse just on, on a quiet Tuesday. And then, and then perhaps most uh, egregiously of all, uh, you're going to be talking about a nonstop flow of vehicular traffic down streets where you have, you know, that's the beauty of Yushalayim is if you have kids, families of 10, 12 kids, and the, and the kids are, are out on the streets playing, you know, girls with, with their jump ropes and boys, you know, s- sitting there and and we're talking about an endless flow of vehicular traffic. So I don't use the term nightmare you know, lightly here. It's a fiasco just of such proportions. So that, that's what it's going to turn all these surrounding areas into, because if you ever had the, the experience you know, in our age of ways, you know, of, I've seen write-ups on this you know, in, in, the, in the Times and elsewhere about what Waze has done to quiet you know, residential neighborhoods off major thoroughfares around New York. When Waze tells you to take the side streets through that quiet uh, Staten Island suburb, or well, Staten Island is not a suburb, but you know. I understand. By the way, we know that Waze was actually developed in Eretz Israel's. Of course, of course. <laughs> this is the Mida Kenegan Mida, right? This is the uh, com- coming down to, back, back to haunt them. And the other point, of course, is that a very large number of those Haredi bus lines that I talked about, which again, you know, if you know anything about Haredi life in Eretz Israel, so it's a distinct minority of people that have cars. It's, you know, that's, uh, cars are for the best of mention. Far and away, the, the, the absolute number one method of transportation for people, whether within Yushalayim or to and from all the other Haredi uh, bastions in, in Eretz Yisrael is the bus. And there is no other way other than that they're gonna have to remove they're going to have to remove many of those bus lines because it, it will become simply impassable. So you're going to be removing those bus lines, you're moving them elsewhere, and you're really cutting off the lifeline for Haredi families, for people uh, work and learn uh, and, and, and are going for, for Shabbos and coming back to and from uh, all around there at Israel, to and from uh, neighborhoods elsewhere in, uh, in Yerushalayim. I mean, again, you know, anyone who's been to Maryland and has that picture in their mind of literally, I mean, you can have 75 to 100 people with suitcases, 
rolling their suitcases and their shaitel boxes and their suit bags and so on and so forth. It, it is one of the most classic Yerushalayim scenes on an Erev Shabbos, on a Matzai Shabbos. One second. Because of the static nature of this new green line, that can't be a replacement for them? These Haredi families can't be taking the, the train instead, which might even be easier, uh, as I mentioned in our intro, it might be more comfortable for them as well. So the answer to that is, is twofold. The, the first one is, is that the, the answer is no, they can't, because by its very nature, what, what a light rail does is it has a limited number of stops. It's a fixed line. It's a track. And that track runs along a certain, a certain line. Uh, it's got a certain limited number of stops. And the only way to get to where you're going is, is for the most part, unless you're, you're fortunate enough to have a destination along that line, is sort of transfer system, you know, multiple transfers. Or possibly to add more stops, right? I mean, I know the way it was drawn up by the eggheads had stop here, stop here, and stop there. Right, right. But, but the point is, just imagine for yourself just a, a city map. And the point is, it's one line, it's running straight. And the point is, you need somewhere that's a 15-minute walk away or, or, or a half-hour walk away, off to one side or the other, whatever. And there's, the only way to do that is they're going to give you a transfer for one bus or for two buses or what have you and so on and so forth. So there's just no comparison. The second point actually does bring us to the intersection of the logistical aspect of the conversation and the spiritual slash moral one, which is that if the suggestion is that, hey, well, so you won't have those bus, all those bus lines, so you'll use the light rail. So apart from what we just talked about, how that's a dramatic solution, the point is, ah, so in other words, we're going to force families, we're going to force already families who live their entire lives and, and make tremendous sacrifices in their lives to give their, their kids the benefit of pure upbringing without having to see the sights that Shulchan Aruch prohibits us from seeing in their neighborhoods. And we're going to force them onto packed trains, which are transporting hundreds of Hebrew students, secular just residents of Yerushalayim, wonderful people, I'm sure, but people who don't have the foggiest notion, tragically, in our view, of what it means to, to dress like a Jew, what it means to talk like a Jew, to appear like a Jew, et cetera. And you're going to put them into the closest quarters. And again, just again, we're New Yorkers here. Let's talk frankly. You know, just think the D-line at rush hour in steamy uh, August in, in midtown Manhattan, so, et cetera. So uh, that's what we're talking about. So if, if that's the idea, then now we're already getting to the, you know, to the crux of the, of, of the spiritual. So whereas the Egged bus now, because that line is primarily, at least that section of it, is primarily for the Haredi community. So because of that, even in a city bus, the atmosphere, the ambiance, as it were, in that bus is Haredi-like. I think, there, is it true that the, the men and the women understand to sit separately? And that's a smaller issue. You know, that, that's so they, they sit all together. They don't sit together. The point is, but the men comport themselves the way Jewish men are supposed to. The ladies can, and, and girls comport, they dress the way that they're supposed to. And if there's the mixing, you know, that's, that, that, there was some controversy about that years ago, Mahandran and the ladies in the back, men in the front of it. This is light years away from that whole discussion. We're talking about Sin City. That's what we're talking about. But one second, Ethan. Why, again, I, I hear what you're saying, that for that 
section of Arilan that you sketched out for us, where which is the the, the, the like you said the main no, radio and much further, and then and then on to Yirmiyahu. It's yeah, I understand miles long stretch. We're talking about many miles worth of and definitely during the nine days and on Tisha we'll get to mention your meal as much as often I, if possible <laughs> i agree with you i'm happy that you mentioned it i can only imagine what your is is uh, saying to himself about his his economist roadway now i would say it'd be interesting to hear what mayor barilan is saying <laughs> i would like to know what he was saying because he's someone that i have a little bit of familiarity with having uh -huh. read his having read his biography and of course being being a devotee of his father in such a way, he might actually give, it would be good to maybe summon him up in, in our time machine to see what he would say about things here. I will studiously avoid the bait. <laughs> anyway. not, not only debate, but the bait. <laughs> yeah, okay. But the point though is, is that even now, let's say there is no light rail, there's still gonna be, wouldn't there still be these uh, uh, students who don't know about Sneas on that bus as well, and tourists on that bus as well? Why aren't they on that bus? They're not, they're not on those buses. Those buses don't don't take them from one campus to the other. They're taking a completely different line. I see. They're not on the bus at all. And again, it's it's not just the students, but it's it's going to be everyone going from those those northern neighborhoods down to Tachanamerka uh, Zit and to Yafo. And is it fair also? And again, because I'm not debating you, Eitan, but you mentioned, and both of us really applaud the incredible serious nefesh of so many New Yorkers who made that who make that trek in rush hour and have to sit on and, and we remember what the 70s and 80s subways looked like and what it was like in the streets. And Abba began as Ravnata once said to me when I said to him, you know, Ravnata uh, Greenblatt Satsal, I said, I don't know if I want to live in Memphis. Uh, you know, I want to live in a place that has as has more uh, the place where the Chadorim are in a higher Madrega, you know, I want my kids to have something better. He said to me, he turned to me and he said, well, you didn't turn out so bad. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, yeah, okay, is, is it possible? I mean, when we look at so many from Hebra who have gone and made that trek into Manhattan, D, F, A, B, one, two, three, all the IRTs, and they've sat on the trains with perhaps worse denizens than what you've described. And Baruch Hashem, they were able to come out and they would be all right. I, I don't, I, I could really just bond pithily by saying, we're talking Shulchan Aruch, man. We're talking about what you're, what you're allowed to do as a Jew, what you're not allowed to do. But, but beyond that, I, that, that would be too, much too cold. That would be lacking Yiddish of Varmkite. And all I would say is, what? I mean, really? I don't know. I don't want to expose my kids to that. And I'm not, I'm not a Shalmi. I'm not a told this Aaron, you know, Chassid, whatever. I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the heart of Yiddishkeit. We're talking about the heart of Chinuch. We're talking about, about what, what I would hope every Jewish parent and every, Jew, every Rebbe hopes for his child and for his student and for himself. So, uh, so one second, Nathan, hold on. Let me take the bull by the horns for a second. We have a, a from guy in the Diamond District who gets on the uh, gets on the, the train. And there are people that are, so what does he do? I'll tell you what I did when I was a kid. I had my svarim with me and I looked in the safer and my eyes glued there. I understood what was going on. Um, and, and, and you have the guys from the Diamond District that I mentioned before. Are you telling me that all those travels they took uh, were, were pagan in them in a way that there was made them less? Two responses. Response number one, yes, they're scarred. And on some level, they're scarred. Now, what, what that means, what that means in Shemayim, what that means for the Ruchni is who they could have become, whatever, I, I don't know. 
Let's let, let's call a spade a spade. Let's talk some zach. Yes, was scarred at some level. But but the simpler answer to that is, we're not talking about some some sixty year old guy with a bike in the, who works for Forty Seventh Street. We're talking about five year old Maishi, an eight year old Goldie, and they're going to be standing for a half hour next to a lesbian Hebrew U student who's got more tattoos than than they've got clear skin space and more rings in every orifice and non-orifice on their body and is listening to who knows what and whose whose blouse is cut down to here and whose skirt is yanked up to there. And I, I don't really have to, I don't think I, really I hear, need to I elaborate here. So yeah, I mean, I mean, the extremes we're talking about, I, I, it just, I mean, it's, and the question begs, Jerusalem, municipality of Jerusalem, Mayor Leon, what do you want from us? What do you want from our lives? Isn't the goal of a public servant, isn't the goal of a, of a forward-thinking 21st century municipality to uh, address the needs and the wants of their citizenry, to take their, 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 their lifestyle into account? Which brings me again to the next point, which is, this is something that's been going on for years, five years at least. There's a process. Just like every municipal plan, every major, any mega municipal project um, has a process. And there was a process in this case too. And the residents followed the process. There were hearings and there was the opportunity to submit objections and they submitted them in the hundreds, maybe the thousands. And there were advocates and they, they used the political channels and we have their parade representatives on the city council, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that has amounted to what? To a hill, hill of beans. Here we are five years later, and to no avail. They're barging ahead. And it's not just a question of your rank and file Haredi citizens. We're talking here about you have basically wall-to-wall opposition to this on the part of the most mainstream, respectable names in Rabonus, in Hasidus, in the yeshiva world. Uh, just if I might, if I can just tick off just a couple of them that would be familiar to our listeners. Goldberg, Schreiner. Uh, from the Eliashev family, Rabbi Yamin, uh, uh, Eliashev, Rabbi Yamin Rimmer, Israel Orbach, right? Son and two sons-in-law, Moshe Sternbuch. Uh, here are some great Jews who have very substantial, significant followings here in the States. Rabbi Lee Rabinovich, Rabbi Meir Schechter, Richard Mary Morgenstern. And we're talking about the play. We're talking about the Mizrahvant of the holy Jews, of, of, of the people that, that we go to for brachas, whose forum we study, whose shiur we listen to on Torah anytime, the Tan, the Rabbi, the Lelifer, the Bubba, the Bubba, the Dayanwa, Bubba, the Vishnets of Geir of Sans. You go talking about this, about the Edot Mizrach. You're talking about the elite names, Rav Moshe Tzadka, Rosho Parat Yosef, Yaakov Chaim Sofer, Ruven Elbaz of Arachayim, talking about the yeshiva world, the yeshivas of Kamenitz, Baruch Lichstein of Chabin, Rav Schneerson of Brisk, Rav David Sun. Was the protests ignored? What was the official rationale if there was such a, uh, a rising up of the populace who vote and who could vote out a mayor and who have some representation on the city council, if that's what they call it, what happened? Crickets. I mean, you could hear the sound of crickets. It was radio silence. There's been radio silence. But let me, let me add just one last detail which will take this to the nth level of insanity. Okay? Because until, until now, I've laid out a case for the idea that from whatever angle you want to approach this, whether it's the spiritual moral angle, whether it's, again, the, the angle of what it means for traffic, for pollution, pedestrian safety, for 
ability to lead a normal life in your own neighborhood. Um, we, we talk about this, ju it just makes no sense. But what compounds the insanity is, is that what these Jews are asking for is not simply a cessation of the light rail and that's it. And, you know, just tank those plans and let's, let's continue living as we've lived for a hundred years. I don't know, saying we think a train is a fantastic idea. Put it underground as it is in other places. By the way, this is not some kind of Haredi notion. There's a secular area in, in Yerushalayim, I don't think I've ever been there, called Emek Rifaim, which for several years now, they're facing their own, I think it's maybe the, the blue line, I think, that, they're, that, they're, that uh, is supposed to be running through their area. And they've put up tenacious opposition. And they've made the same point. Put it underground. Let's have a subway. Have a subway with all of the benefits. All of that, the 21st century uh, comfort and, and, and speed and et cetera, et cetera all without disturbing anything that's going on on top. You won't have the delay, the, the years long delays that construction will entail. You won't have the shutting of all the shops, all the stores along, along the route. And Eitan, that's because, as, as I think you said to me in a previous conversation when we were prepping for this, that Yerushalayim underground, the, the, the area that underneath the streets themselves are, obviously it's gonna be a, a major work, but it's actually possible to do. It is possible to do. Some might ask, but what about Kvarim? Isn't that a perennial issue about the, the idea of disturbing graves, graves of ancestors? And the answer is no, because quite to the contrary, tunneling underground goes way below the level at which you would even have, even have the possibility of finding Kvarim. Some have raised the question of, of the expense of the matter, of how quickly it could be accomplished. And others have said that, that that's not the case at all, that in fact, it could be done for either a total cost and a total length, a duration of construction, which very much approximates, possibly even beats doing it above ground. And that's, that's all that anybody has ever been advocating for here. Because I think we also have to mention that the, the rail that's now, uh, that now runs, the red line, I've heard from Haredisha people, Yeshivisha people, that they're very happy with it. Their people feel that it's a, it's a very positive. So again, I'm not sure exactly where it runs and if it's causing problems, but I, you know, I, I didn't do a, any real research, but I called a bunch of people who take the, uh, before we started talking, and they said they're very happy about uh, that light rail and what it's able to do. That's a function of A, where it runs, so that you don't have the great lion's share of all of these logistical problems that you have, you don't have uh, given the neighborhoods it runs through. Because it's not running through those residential neighborhoods, so you don't have, you, you're, not, you're not being compelled to bring your family onto, into that kind of situation. There's also one more aspect, and when we talk about the, the ruchnius of it, which is the, the plans as they currently exist, call for, in other words, part and parcel of the municipal planning on this has been project, I think they call it Pinui Binui. The basic idea is the creation of the light rail is only one, one aspect of a, of a two-pronged approach here to these neighborhoods, where it, they're, they're going to be building high-rise buildings, high-rise buildings that are going to have to, to have stores on the, on, the, on, the, on the lowest level. Then they're going to have these buildings that go way above what a Haredi family could possibly live in, both in terms of Shabbos accessibility, in terms of just, you know, large families with kids, et cetera. So, Basically, the, the, the concern here is, on the spiritual level, is that you're going to have a light rail, 
you're going to have them building these sleek new buildings with all sorts of shops, all sorts of stores um, on, on the lower level. You're now going to going to have this conveyor belt of, of thousands of secular riders coming through, who can easily hop off and onto the train and go in, you know, to to get themselves a slice of piece and nice coffee, or to go in and do their shopping, and catch another train in ten minutes. It's the uh, the ultimate convenience. So you're going to turn these into highly commercial but highly secular areas of commercial use, and they're also they've also talked about the idea that hey, once once we're ferrying. Hebrew U students from Givat Ram to Mount Scopus and back. Well, you know what? The, the, the plans have also talked about, and I don't know if they're mandated it or what, they've talked about creating student housing. Wonderful. Student housing in the heart of, you know, of Haredi neighborhoods. So, you know, this sort of thing is just fiasco on still, uh, you know, piling things up. And then again, even people who will refrain from using, from actually utilizing the, the lines, one final issue is is just the idea that these lines are going to be passing through creating neighborhoods. The plans call for tinted windows, but as we know, at, at night those are of no avail. So you're going to basically have these are large windows. If you've ever seen the light rail in Jerusalem, and you're going to have uh, storefront uh, windows showcasing the latest styles in skimpy uh, summer wear and et cetera, et cetera, passing through again neighborhoods where where people have have invested their blood, sweat, and tears to be able to live in, in the kind of unique environment that our Yerushalayim, you know, is today. And the reason why we send our kids to learn there, the reason why we why we visit there every chance we have. And listen, Yerushalayim is, you know, the, the word unique is, of course, overused. But I think we can really say, when we talk about the sweep of from Jewry worldwide, there's just something very, very unique about that gem that we call Yerushalayim. Well, you know, I, I think we have to, you know, obviously as we, we wrap up here that, uh, you know, <laughs> we want the Yushalyu uh, We I mentioned the Shalu Shalayim Yerushalayim, I started with, but also Yushalyu Ayavayach. There should be a sense of Shalva, there should be, you know, a sense of Achtus, as as I said before, you know, as the Malbim says, that in Yisoyer bein Isheyem Riv umadonim upirad levavois, and obviously, this is not doing anything to facilitate that. If anything, it seems to be being marchik the levavos. I would say that you know we want to give up some sort of tikva here, and you know you're right. Maybe you know maybe I'm totally off base, but perhaps Eitan, you know, this is reflective of not just like you talked about the bureaucratic boondoggling and stuff. Uh, maybe this is part of it is really the lack of understanding or the willingness not to understand uh, the Haredi lifestyle, the Haredi mentality. It's really another manifestation of that lack of shalom that there exists. So therefore, you know, it's it's like I specifically don't want to know your perspective, and it doesn't mean much to me. And when I hear it, I feign the I feign like surprise. Oh, that really bothers you. If you were talking about people that are listening and caring about each other, then that would not be the case. I mean, you've sketched it out, but I think there might be the root causes here might be the fact that there is a lack of communication in Shalom, perhaps even on our side or on the Haredi side as well. You know, you mentioned, again, all the Rabbonim and, and, and the Pashkevilim or whatever it is, or the, or the Achrosis, and no one has more COVID for Rabbonim. I'm not trying to be my name, 
you and I have talked other times where people have sometimes dismissed when they hear all these protests because there's been a, pol a politicization of rabbinic figures as well. And maybe that's part of the reason why even people be'emtza, maybe from the Mizrahi and others who aren't, they're not, they, they haven't let the sounds of protest enter into them because it's just part of these other protests, at least in their mind. That's a good point. People tend to lump all protests into one into one bucket. But, you know, the, the thing about the protests is, is that they didn't start five years ago. These neighborhoods and, and again, the, the communal, advoca communal advocates and, and the, the, the city council members, etc. They followed the process till the point where it, it trailed off and, and it came to a dead end. Protests really are, are, are a much more recent phenomenon. And that's what happens when you treat people that way, really. So you're right. I mean, people tend to make this this kind of uh, tzadashava and this heckish uh, protest protest, but it really isn't isn't, isn't like that. Well, I, I think as Europe has taught us, uh, the history of Europe has taught us that shadlonim were very important and the method of shadlonis was important. And, and again, I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to sign blame on the other side, but it's possible that maybe there might've been a way to alleviate this before it got to this locker jam and maybe it could have, been, it could have happened. Again, we all know that Eitan, we've got to always work triple hard. The Haredi Shevelt, the Firmavelt, the Yeshiva Shevelt, the Teirevelt, the Rabboni Shevelt. And it's never going to be fair that what works for the goose works for the gander. And sometimes we have to work even harder to make our points and sometimes bend over backwards with Nachas and Ava and COVID, even for those who are mezalzal in us, in order for them to even hear what we're saying, that's Advarm Shoseichel and Tan. Point well taken. And again, I wasn't in the room, so I, I, I can't attest to what was tried and wasn't tried. But from everything that I know that I've read and that I've heard from people who were deeply involved from the outset, they tried in every which way, every which uh, legal, legitimate way. And they're still, by the way, they're in the courts now. As, as we speak, they've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars that people don't have uh, to retain, you know, top law firms in, in Eretz Israel, And they're in the courts. They're still pursuing uh, legitimate avenues of, of pushback and, and, and so on. Right. But, but I think, again, to, to sort of be, you know, rabbinic and preachy to you, I think what we have to be misfouled when we talk about especially as we approach this Shabbat, is that there should be uh, a sense of Ava and Achdus. I know it sounds very kitschy, but here, too, an understanding of, of, of Kamayim Ponim Ponim. And they have Taka Rachmanis, you're right. You talked about the, uh, the writers, the, the students. What these generations of Chilonim have spawned. And if we have, I, I believe, a certain ava, an understanding, the Rabbani Shalom, I think, will give us the siyata the Shmaya that we're going to be able to find the Melitza Yosher to be able to find, again, this is a little bit of the rough cook mentality within me talking, but, you know, I, I would hope that that should be some of our tefillas. I couldn't agree more, but, but uh, by the same token, I'll just say that a Jewish heart and a Jewish mind has to be big enough to be able to hold two ideas and two emotions <laughs> at the same time. And on, on, the one, on the one hand, to love them, to feel the tragedy of their lives, and at the very same time, to say that we won't be trampled on. We will defend our rights. We will defend them with whatever it takes. This is our country. This is our city. And if there's anywhere in, on the globe where, where we're going to make a, a last stand on behalf of Kedush and Tahara, on behalf of Tehran Mitzvahs, on behalf of truth and justice, it's going to be in Yerushalayim Yerikaitish. Uh, let, let, let's call it the first stand of the Pamayna Agula, if not the last stand 
but actually the first stand, and maybe a stand in a way that could actually be a, a simon of this is the way we get it done, and this is the way we show in our Hesnagdus a type of Hanhoga uh, Elyoina that people can understand where we're coming from. And again, I'm just repeating the same thing, but I'm just flipping the other coin. I think the other thing, you know, as we as we end up here, and, and what I'm sensitive to is, and you didn't mention this, is that part of it, I think, is that the Haredim still have, um, there's a, a, an idea, even if you don't hate the Haredim and call them parasites, you sort of see them as obscure, as something, you know, that maybe to look at just like the Amish in Lancaster County. And I think that might be also the idea of some of the planners was, oh, you know, we're going to have this, uh, and you could stop even in the Haredi community nearby, and you can get off in the Haredi Disneyland, yes. And added bonuses, you'll, you'll be able to get off the train and uh, ogle. Here's where they filmed this one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll go up on it. We go we, we again as, we, as we're misabo and we're misgailable, hopefully we're going to have Taka. As far as you're concerned, hopefully we'll go down you stole my thunder. I was going to say that, you know, on the one hand, you know, during the nine days, what weighs so heavily in our minds is the idea of Well, that's exactly what the what these uh, Haredim are asking for. They're asking, put the line down under uh, subterranean, put a Sholtachtiya. Not as right as the Sha'ol, but the, the direction of Sholtachtiya. Yes, yes. And on that Rita Shebuk, we should we wish everybody, of course, and we'll try to get this out before Tishabov a uh Arab and Nachmasiya and Mitzhem. This whole talk will, should be only uh theoretic. Halavai, halavai. May these may these days turn with Sas and Lisimcha. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.